Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. History, I'm taking my glasses off now. History is a funny thing. When something really massive happens, like the COVID-19 global crisis, the past or the past before this great crisis seems an awful long time ago. I think this is particularly the case with the the, the Trump impeachment hearings, it seems ages ago now, although it was only really a few months. Uh, my old friend, Norm Eisen, um, is a very distinguished, and I don't know if he would take this as an insult, Washington, D.C. insider, friend of Harvard, <laughs> Ob- uh, a friend not of Harvard Obama, friend of Barack Obama. They went to Harvard Law School together. Um, Norm did some really interesting things as the so-called ethics czar in the Obama administration. Uh, He was also the ambassador to Prague, to Czechoslovakia, or the Czech Republic, where he and I first met. Wrote a wonderful book, actually, about that experience and his Czech background of his family and mother. Uh, Norm, in the impeachment hearings, was um, the special counsel to the House Judiciary Committee. He was the the legal expert, the legal maven, the the authority, the network genius who helped them put the case together. And he's just come out with a narrative of his experience and a wonderfully rich history of uh, the Trump impeachment process. Uh, a case for the American people. It's typically Norm, it's honest, it's colorful, it's erudite, and it's fun. Uh, Norm, is, have I said enough nice things about you? Andrew, I must thank you for that excessively generous <laughs> introduction. Uh, and it's such a pleasure to be back with you. I always love our conversations. Uh, Norm, I suggested that we have this BC um a pc kind of process now you know the the the, the uh, bc period is before covid the the impeachment hearings seem an awful long time ago they seem almost like ancient history do they seem like ancient history to you uh andrew they do not as i write in the book a case for the american people um which is um, uh, a history of the impeachment, but also talks about uh, the period B.I. before impeachment um, and my fights against President Trump and and the period uh, A.I. after impeachment. Um, And I explain that there's a pattern and and, uh, at the end of the book, I analyzed the pattern in which Trump first said, and you know, part of the challenge of the era of Trump is separating the signal from the noise, figuring out what what are, are the significant events because there's so much chaotic misconduct every day. 
Um, I draw a direct line in the book from Russia, Are You Listening?, where during the campaign, Trump famously called on uh, Russia to hack his opponent's emails. I reveal new evidence that we discovered that Trump, shortly before he made that pronouncement, that um, Trump uh, had been told that there were more WikiLeaks emails to come. So in the first time you'll read about that, that new evidence of collusion in the book, there's a direct line from Russia, are you listening? To Ukraine, are you listening? Or uh, can you do us a favor though, as Trump said famously to President Zelensky of Ukraine, July, 2019, um, to, um, to the COVID scandal, in which this same approach was predicted by one of the witnesses I examined as counsel during the impeachment, Pam Carlin, when she said, how would you like it if there was a national crisis and Trump said to the governors, can you do us a favor though? And that's just what he's done in COVID, just what Pam predicted, where he is openly saying, yes, I'll help the states, but what will they do for me? He uh, said to govern, essentially to Governor Gretchen Whitmer, can you do us a favor though? The same thing. And the COVID crisis, as I explained in the last chapter of the book, like Russia, are you listening? Like Ukraine, are you listening? Um, uh, the COVID crisis is one where instead of considering the national interest, Trump is solely making his decisions based on uh, his personal political interest in re-election. And that accounts for his shocking uh, uh, choices. They're intentional choices that he's made not to deal with the um, crisis as he should because he thought initially that that would put him in the best political fettle. So it's that same pattern repeated over and over again, Trump's personal and political interest to the sacrifice of all else. So it turns out, that it not only is it today's news, the what what he was impeached for, which was just that radical selfishness. Not only is it today's news, but it's about to be the biggest news story in the world because he signaled he's going to do the same thing on election day. So it's pretty uh, pretty uh, uh, relevant uh, in my view. But I'm biased since I'm the author of the book. Yeah, I don't know why I'm laughing, uh, Norm, because, uh, and we'll come back to, to COVID and Trump, uh, or Trump's treatment or mistreatment of COVID uh, later in this conversation. Uh, but let, let's go back to the impeachment hearings. You're a historical guy, um, uh, Norm. Your last book was a, a sweeping history of one house in, in, in Prague. In 50 or 100 years, how do you think people will look back at the Trump impeachment hearings? Your book is, is, a, is, is a front row narrative. It's, um, it, it's, it's a wonderful um, a narrative about what it was like on a day-to-day -day basis to be fighting this impeachment uh, thing against Trump. And you, you, you report on all your conversations with everyone from Jerry Nadler to um, even some leading uh, Republicans, uh, but step back a little bit. What's its historical significance? It's only the third time in American history since our constitutional republic was established in 1789, so that is um, 231 years, 
that we've had the trial of a president on articles of impeachment in the United States Senate. So by itself, it's something that will be studied. Of course, Clinton was the most recent. Before that, Andrew Johnson. Nixon surely would have gone to trial, but he resigned and then was pardoned by his successor. Um, so, um, uh, you know, all of those events are um, studied by historians as signal moments of their era. And I hope that among the resources, and I know on your podcast, Andrew, you ask your guests to recommend uh, 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 one book beside their own. So I have one in mind that this question, I'll save it for the end, but I have one in mind that this question elicits all of those prior events. Um, uh, you know, if you want to count the Nixon case, which was nipped in the bud, we can we can count them. We can say this is this is uh, still only the fourth time that we've had a presidential impeachment of such magnitude in our 231 years. Um, so the book is intended to be a diary, if you will, uh, of uh, what happened before history forgets and before I forget. You know, if I do not write on every page, readers will find something that they did not know. Sometimes important things like the evidence of Trump's um, uh, wicked, evil state of mind when he said, Russia, are you listening? A lot of new information about um, the Mueller report, the Ukraine scandal. And you're pretty tough on Mueller. I was, I was quite surprised I was. because he was a personal friend or is a personal friend of yours. You, you note he visited you when you were the U US ambassador to the Czech Republic. And yet he, he comes out of this book, I think, quite tarnished. Well, um, he, uh, he, he is uh, a complicated figure. Um, he's a hero to me still. He's a tragic hero because he did not do what he should have done. He did not go all the way to the limits of his prosecutorial power, of his authority under uh, the Department of Justice regulations um, and the um, other rules that govern his behavior. He did not go all the way to condemn Trump. He was free to say Trump committed five obstruction of justice offenses that were chargeable. Clearly, if you know how to read Bob, I've known him for a long time. I've worked with him. I'm an attorney myself. I understand what he was writing there, but by not drawing the conclusions he could have gone even further and said, and these are impeachable offenses and he should be impeached, which I know he believes. Um, by not going that far, uh, by not demanding Trump testify, um, he uh, putting Trump in a grand jury if necessary, litigating it if necessary, uh, you know, those are the deadly sins. Those are the three deadly sins of Bob Mueller. He didn't call out the obstruction charges. He just, he gave all the evidence. He said, I leave it to Congress. He didn't call out impeachment. He said, that's a question for Congress to decide. And he didn't call out Trump. 
he settled for this ludicrous written answers. Uh, I write in the book about a never before reported conversation that I had with Bob behind the scenes of his testimony mm. in the hallway leading to our grand, mm. our grand chamber where we so much history has happened, Watergate and the House Judiciary Committee. And I thanked him for being with us. He said, Norm, I'd rather be anywhere yeah. else than here. Yeah, and, and that's the problem, Andrew. That was a, a, a memorable moment, amongst memorable moments in the book. Um, and there is a, a, a tragic quality to Muller. It's as if he's, he's been drained of, of, of any kind of moral energy. That's perhaps the way you present him. Um, but there's also an element of theatrical farce about the process. Now, you imbue your narrative with an element of sus suspense, even though, we, of course, we all know the outcome. Uh, my problem, not with your book, but with the process, was it seemed inevitable that the Senate would reject the charges. Um, is that too simplistic? Is that a 2024 uh, hindsight kind of approach where I know the outcome, so <laughs> I've always presented it as inevitable. We were always told the Senate would not impeach Trump, and it didn't. So where was the suspense? Um, well, um, the, um, first of all, it was not inevitable. It absolutely was not inevitable uh, because, um, as I write in the book, I've been trying cases. Uh, I had a kind of a job uh, as a civil rights organizer when I got out of college in 1985 uh, that involved um, uh, involved sometimes civil rights litigation. So, and then I went to law school and then I've been a lawyer since 91, but I, I've, so I've been in and around the law. I even, I even had a law job one summer in college. I won't count that. I've been in and around the law now for 35 years. Well, you only look 35 years old, Norm. You must have been very young well, when you started. You're, you're kind to say so, but I think this white beard, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it went, the impeachment caused yeah. this beard to go white. Uh, <laughs> and so um, this white beard is to the contrary. 35 years uh, at or near the bar observing litigation and you never know when you go into a courtroom, when you start a trial, you never know how it's going to end. Now, it's true. Lightning doesn't strike very often, but I've seen it happen. My co-counsel, similar experience, the wonderful Barry Burke, who came and joined me as co-impeachment counsel to the House Judiciary Committee. Barry uh, also... Um, uh, uh, has seen this happen, and, and the two of us occasionally have caused it to happen. In this case, the game changer was John Bolton. Right. And um, as you'll read, uh, he really did have the capacity to turn things around. A very senior Trump administration figure uh, with one of the biggest jobs uh, you can have and. And in, in an administration told me the one guy who can do it for you because Republicans listen to him is John Bolton. And why didn't he? <clears throat> he was a victim of what the Federalist Papers warned us, hearkening back. We're doing some history today, hearkening back. I can't help it like you. I have a historical 
turn of mind, hearkening back to the Federalist Papers and to the 1780s, what the Federalist Papers warned us, factionalism, uh, partisanship, extreme partisanship will, could be the destruction of any republic. And that is what Bolton engaged in, I believe, at bottom. Many people say, oh, he wanted to make a buck. He was holding out for his book. Undoubtedly, that was not a totally irrelevancy, but I have come to believe, um, I, I've watched his interviews now, and I've read his book, and I've studied the question, and I you know, was part of the effort to negotiate with him uh, as I describe in the book, many new details about our negotiations, not previously known. They went on until virtually the last minute of the trial. He did not want to be seen as cooperating with Democrats. He just had, and if it meant that the impeachment would fail, then he was willing to have the impeachment fail. He was willing to take a subpoena from the Republican senators the majority Republican Senate, that was the only circumstances under which he would testify. And why you would, you know, if, um, if the uh, 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 policeman comes to your door and you're, you, you're, you're a witness to a murder, do you really ask the policeman, you know, are you, what's your political party? You help. You see, justice done, and Trump right. is murdering the rule of law, and Bolton says so. So it is so, he won't admit it. He has all kinds of excuses. He knew we had, for example, he says they, the, the articles weren't broad enough. Well, I reveal for the first time in the book, the articles were broad enough. We had 10 secret articles of impeachment that I worked on. We could have gotten many more than the two we finally ended on. And I outlined the 10. Many of them would have been substantiated by what Bolton wrote in his book. And, you know, uh, he knew better. He knew that we could have gotten broader prosecution. So partisanship, factionalism is the answer. So Bolton definitely comes out of this looking terrible. Uh, you suggest terrible. That, uh, that, that Mueller doesn't exactly enhance his reputation. Does anyone come out of this looking better Mitt Romney for example and, and, you, and you have this wonderful moment in the book where you describe Romney's speech to a, a near empty senate about his decision to uh, vote to impeach Trump that's a memorable part of the book you <laughs> to be you happen to wander into the the chamber almost by accident uh, Romney comes out of this looking pretty good doesn't he yeah, Romney is, there are heroes. There's no, it wouldn't be a very good book if it was only villains uh, and, and uh, no heroes. Um, and, and I'll go in, I'll go in order so I don't lose them, but I won't do justice to all, to all the heroes. Uh, in addition to Romney, I think um, the, although they, disagreed at time, from time to time over the course of the year. I think the great, um, in the 19th century, Henry Clay led the great triumvirate of Congress. Uh, and in the impeachment, we had a great triumvirate of impeachment of the House. Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff, and Jerry Nadler. Mm. So I think the three of them 
the three of them come off looking uh, pretty respectable. Yeah, and one of the things that I got from the book, which I actually hadn't realized before, was the 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 oratorical skills of of, of Schiff. You say he's one of the great speakers in American history. I, I do believe he's Anglo-American history. I think he's uh, he's you know he's of a caliber with Churchill. Yeah, and Churchill figures in this book too. You you he you does. cite Churchill's maxims in terms of fighting and fighting on in spite there of was, the circumstances. <laughs> yes, Churchill, the, the complicated, you know, uh, it's very difficult to judge historical figures by uh, present day standards. Uh, Churchill was complex even in his day, controversial, and there are many terrible things he did. Uh, but he is, uh, he does loom over 20th century Anglo-American history um and he figures in this book in a number of ways surprisingly uh, i won't give them all away so there's the great triumvirate uh schiff nadler and pelosi nadler's the least well known nadler is a hero he sees what's coming uh and the, a brave man because he was doing this while his wife was very sick as well so that was the added the, element yes, of that yes yes his wife battling cancer so um and the uh, other man. person who comes out of this, uh, I, I'm not jumping in. I am jumping in here, Norm. Jump in. Surprisingly, was Michael Cohen, uh, who you're exchanging texts <laughs> with. And, and, and uh, you might, I, I, I don't know if you remember the text uh, that he wrote after one, uh, after Corey Lewandowski's disgraceful performance. What, what did uh, Cohen text you from prison? Uh, Cohen said words to the effect, um, uh, that as an American, he was uh, ashamed of yeah. yesterday's debacle performance by Lewandowski. It was a shameful performance. Um, so continuing on my list of heroes briefly, um, the House um, uh, uh, majority were heroes. It was a particularly what Pelosi calls her um, majority makers, uh, those who are in districts that are uh, purple or mixed Democratic Republican, even red Republican districts, uh, even districts that Trump won. Uh, the members of the House Judiciary Committee, they were first, they led the way. The House managers, besides Nadler and Schiff, five other House managers, they were wonderful heroes of the process. The witnesses, my former friends, my former State Department colleagues, I hope they're right. not former friends. Fiona um, Hale, Vinman, all these people yes, you Fiona, write about. Fiona's a work colleague from my think tank life. The others, a number, a large number of the others were friends. I say some who uh, were disappointments as well. So I, I don't only, you know, I don't only praise my, um, I don't only praise my heroes. I, I uh, call out the ones in a, in, who in disappointed good, me. In good Chilean ways, Norm. Um, let's finally go back to COVID. Uh, is there, and, and I'm quoting your book here or re-quoting your book, is there a case for the American people or could there be a case for the American people when it comes to Trump's willful irresponsibility and unwillingness for one reason or other to deal with COVID? 
and the 150,000 people who have lost their lives and inevitably up to 200,000 by the time of the election? Uh, 100%. Um, uh, you know, it's fitting that, that we'll end up uh, with Article 10, coined by Barry, my co-counsel, the next high crime, the next high crime. Um, and um, it, what, what the president did on COVID really was of a piece with what he did on Russia and on Ukraine, and he's about to do it again on the election, and that is his radical selfishness. He, um, you know, did not, we now know, and I, I put some of the evidence in the last chapter of the book, that when he was confronted with this, with this scourge, instead of doing everything he could to call it out, to fight it, to rally the country, he thought if he poo-pooed it, that that would be better for him, better for his election. And in, in derogation of his constitutional duty, of his human duty, but of his constitutional and legal one. That's what we impeach for. That's what we hold accountable for. Uh, he went ahead and uh, ignored it, minimized it, claimed uh, it would be gone. 15 cases would soon go to zero. Everybody who wanted a test could get a test. And it, it was uh, a shameful performance. And it was a deadly performance to get electoral advantage. But, uh, but is it at a legal, uh, an illegal performance? There's no it doubt is illegal. About it. it is illegal. Because it's the same pattern of abusing the law. That is an abuse of the Constitution. He has sworn an oath and he has a constitutional duty uh, to, to take care that, that the laws are faithfully executed. And when you are, I believe he is responsible for the death of tens of thousands of, Amer of Americans because of his intentional, not negligence, beyond even reckless, it's clear now, his intentional failure to act. That is, if that is not impeachable, I don't know what is. And the abuse of power, it's the same as what we pled, Andrew, two articles, abuse and obstruction. The abuse has gone along with the obstruction, with lying, with firing inspectors general, with retaliating against whistleblowers, with refusing to cooperate with Congress, all the same things as we impeached him for, the quid pro quos, the naked quid pro quos, only now it's the governors who are the victims of that abuse and the mayors um, as he asks uh, Americans, what can you do for me? So yes, and he's gonna repeat this pattern of abuse and obstruction the worst of all is coming with our elections. So I hope people are awake and aware and the book will explain the pattern and give you some clues on how you can fight back against what's happening with COVID and what's coming with the election. Yeah, and if, if you can't wake the people of America up, Norm, no one can. So your conclusion essentially is that, that, um, that Donald Trump literally as well as metaphorically has blood on his hands, which is a, an impeachable offense. Uh, finally, finally, Norm, let's go back to the book. Everyone's waiting in suspense. What is the book that you would suggest everyone <laughs> read? 
the a wonderful it, and i'm going to give you a book one more plug because everyone should read it it's a really brisk read you can read it in a couple of hours or three hours it's wonderfully vibrant and interesting the case for the american people the united states versus donald j trump what else should people read norm and you're stuck at home like i am in this weird time so we have lots have lots of time for reading um there's it's now an excellent um three volume set. And in, in addition to the, a case for the American people is sandwiched. I'm going to give your listeners a twofer. Um, uh, like Churchill, I do things in multiple volumes. Uh, there's a wonderful book by Congressman Eric Swalwell that came out before my book, his perspective on this Congress trying to hold Trump accountable, this and the previous Congress, his work and the impeachment. And he, he also had a front row seat, a different perspective, but an important one called Endgame. Um, and, um, and just this week, uh, Jeffrey Tubin's uh, book uh, has, uh, has come out about the impeachment. And that is also very worth reading. Um, I would recommend that to anybody. Again, a different perspective. Um, Tubin has uh, studied uh, uh, the issue from the outside. I often talk to him as a, uh, a, 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 a as a participant in the events. He's talked to everybody. It's called True Crimes and Misdemeanors. So Endgame, and true crimes and misdemeanors go very nicely together with a case for the American people. You've been listening to Keen On, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.